I love that. We are the church. We're going to talk about church this morning. And as we do, I want to give you some statistics. And I'm going to warn you right off the bat, in my opinion, these aren't great statistics. I was uh, reading an article yesterday, and these stats that I'm going to give you are in regards to church attendance. And there was an article that was entitled, The Great Decline. Because in reality, there are far less people attending church in the United States than um, in years past. And so according to Institute for Family Service, Family Services, regular church attendance is declining. So many of you probably are going then, well, okay, well, how do you define regular church attendance? And so for this research group and for this context, regular church attendance means one to two times a month. That's how they're defining it. Now, if my kids clean their room regularly, once to twice a month, I would question that definition. But again, for the sake of these statistics, that's what we're talking about means regular. So in 2019, 34% of Americans attended church regularly. Now, 2020, of course, uh, the pandemic hit, and I don't know how they navigated all of that information, but it dropped to 31%. And then last year, from what I could find, the most recent statistics we have, in the year 2021, only 28% of Americans attend church regularly. Now, to give you some context, and I don't want you to raise your hand if you remember this era, but during the 1950s and 60s, church attendance in America, regular church attendance, was up to 57%. So over the last 60 to 70 years, we as a country have moved from 57%, more than half of our country attending church, down to 28%. Now, while this is anecdotal, um, as I've mentioned several times before, I talked to lots of pastors and friends with lots of pastors, both outside our denomination, the Alliance, and within. And from what I have gathered, in a post-pandemic world, in a post COVID world, most churches in our city, and again, even beyond, are only about 75% back to where they were before the pandemic. Only about 75% of people have returned to church after the pandemic. According to Pew Research Center, as of right now, 21% of churchgoers are attending online only. And not to offend those who are currently watching online, But that is the statistics that we see. We also live in a time when there are more church options than maybe there has ever been in the history of the world. I mean, we don't lack for options when it comes to church. So if you're looking for a particular style or kind of church, the reality is you can find it. I mean, here even in our city of Pittsburgh. But there are lots of church options. There are big churches. There are small churches. There are contemporary churches. There are traditional churches. There are attractional churches. There are missional churches. There are predominantly ethnic-based churches, such as predominantly black or white or Asian or Hispanic. In Denver, recently, in this past year, there was a church in Denver that completely sold its building, sold out all its property, and they are a virtual-only church. I lived in Texas for several years, and my family still lives there and spent on time at staff on staff at a church in Houston, Texas. And in Texas, believe it or not, they have cowboy churches. And I'm not just saying that because Kenny Chesney was here last night. And that's hard maybe for some of you to imagine, but it's true. 
You know, they drive up in their F-150s and, and the worship has, I mean, they sing the same songs, but it has more of a country music flair to it. And the pastor preaches in cowboy boots and big buckles. And I'm not exaggerating, it's true. Cowboy churches. Um, I, I know someone here, even in our area, they're planning a metaverse church. Now, if you don't know what metaverse is, that's okay. And I'm not gonna worry about it because I know you're not gonna leave here to go to a metaverse church. But there is a generation who understands what that is. And the point is, we are not short on the number of churches that we have. But it's amazing to me as I think about it, out of all of the options of churches that we have now, probably more than we ever have in the history of the world, we are seeing far fewer people go to church. Why? We're not short on the number of churches. But what I believe is that we have a lack of a proper understanding of what church really is. Now, before I go on, I want to be perfectly clear. I want everyone to understand that I am not saying, hear me, I am not saying we do not need more churches. Not saying we don't need to plant more churches. Until there are no more people in the world that need to hear the name of Jesus, we need to plant churches. It's not what I'm saying. I am also not criticizing those pastors and those congregations that are uber creative in the way in which they reach people. I'm not criticizing the cowboy churches in Texas, though we may not understand it. I'm not criticizing the pastor who's planning a metaverse church, though we may not understand it. I'm not even criticizing the church in Denver that's going completely on, online, though we may not understand it. I'm not criticizing that. As a pastor of a congregation whose very mission is to follow Jesus in diverse community, I not, I not only understand, but I value the beautiful diversity that is within the body of Christ through local congregations. My question and my point is simply this. In a time when we have so many options, why are there so few people attending church? Well, I believe it is because Jesus' followers, at least many Jesus' followers, have lost a biblical understanding of what church actually is, how they're to think about it, and how they're to participate in it. The Apostle Paul really begins with this. I want us to look. This is going to be the centerpiece of our text for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. All of you together are Christ's body. Each of you is a part of it. Look at somebody beside you and go, that's you. You're a part of Christ's body. Don't stop there. You have a part in it. We, each and every one of us, are the body of Christ. We are the church. And Paul says each of us have a part to play in it. So today we're going to look at what God says about his church and the part that each of us who are followers of Jesus are to play in it. And here's what I hope we discover and that you leave with today. This biblical understanding of what it means to be a part of God's church is this. Following Jesus demands action as part of the body of Christ through the local church. That if you are a Christian, if you say you follow Jesus, then that demands that you are actively involved, that you actively play a part in the body of Christ. And the fruit of that happens through the local church. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence that is here, for the sweet time of worship. 
that we had singing and even giving. And now as we look to your word, we pray that your word that trans- brings transformation and has power and speaks life would do that in our hearts today. Lord, bless this time that we have. Give us ears to hear and courage to respond in faith. In your name, amen. Last weekend on the Christian calendar was Pentecost Sunday. We didn't necessarily acknowledge it here at the service, but all over the world on the Christian calendar last weekend was Pentecost weekend. And what that means is this. After the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus, after the resurrection of Jesus, didn't know Jesus was coming back there for a minute. It's like, all right, it's going to be a short sermon. Let's go. Jesus appears to his disciples after he's resurrected, and he teaches them up to the time to when he ascends to heaven. And while Jesus is with them, he makes a promise to his apostles. And in teaching them, he says this, once when he, speaking of Jesus, was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. Jesus said that John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here, Jesus is gathered with his apostles, and he's telling them they know that they are commissioned to go into all the world, to share the good news of the gospel, just like we are. But he tells them, don't do it just yet, because I'm sending you the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and that will empower you to fulfill this work. And so sure enough, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens in the second chapter of Acts. And it empowers the apostles to share the good news. One outpouring of that is the apostle Peter was there. And he's filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Peter preaches his first sermon, urging the people that were there to repent and believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And in that moment, the church was born when this happened. Those who believed what Peter said... They were baptized and added to the church that day. Now look at this, 3,000, about 3,000 in all. Now, I don't know how many sermons I've done in the course of my short career, but I know that my first sermon didn't see 3,000 people being baptized and coming into the church. I mean, talk about job security. That is amazing. Peter's first sermon 3,000 people are added to the church. And so when we talk about Pentecost, we celebrate the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but we also celebrate the birth of the church. So it would have been appropriate last weekend for us to sing happy birthday to the body of Christ. Happy birthday to the church. Okay, so that's when the church was born. This is what Pentecost celebrates. So if it's the birth of the church, the real question for us today is when we say things like we are the church, what does that mean? What is church? Are you at church today? Are you attending church today? Is ACAC the church you go to? Is it something we do on the weekend? Is it this building when you drive by? Oh, that's my church. Well, let me show you. In the Greek, the New Testament was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And so when you look at the word church, as it's written in your Bible throughout the New Testament, ecclesia is the word. Now, ecclesia is a compound word meaning two things, ek meaning out from and to, combined with kaleo meaning to call. So if you put that together, the definition for church would be a people called out of the world and to God. Now, this could be 
probably familiar to you because we talked a lot about the people of Israel when we went through the series of Judges. We talked about Israel was called out. When God called them out of Egypt, he called them out and they were to go into other nations. And by looking at the people of Israel, other nations, other cultures should have discovered what Jesus, what God is like in how they lived and how they talked. The same is true for us. So when people talk about the church, when people see the church, they should see a people that are called out and different and they should see Jesus in us. Now, there's three different parts that make up the word church. I wanna go through those quickly. The first part is individuals as the church. No, the church is not a building or something you attend on the weekend. The church is rather a culmination of individual followers of Jesus from all over the world. Without each person committing their life to Christ, without committing their allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom, there is no church. This is the church, individuals as the church. That's one part. The second part is the local church. Here, the local church goes from singular to plural. It's the coming together of these individuals who pursue Christ privately and now come publicly to worship him with their spiritual brothers and sisters. It's a local community of believers who share mutual beliefs, faith, and they surrender to Jesus. You have individuals as the church and you have the local church. And then here's the third part. The third part is the global church. The global church is made up both of individuals as the church and the local church. The global church can be defined as the culmination of these local churches, local congregations from all over the world in every nation. You with me on that? So when we talk about church, yes, there's individuals, but it's also the local congregations, which together make up God's global church. Now, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts and the church is birthed, the church begins to explode. We see his followers, his apostles, now empowered by the Holy Spirit, going into all the world, going to different communities, and they begin to plant local congregations. We see this in the New Testament. Many of the books in our New Testament are letters written to these local congregations. Over the course of 14 years, the apostle Paul helped and guided these churches who were scattered throughout Asia Minor, Greece, and Rome. The book of Romans is a letter that was written to a local congregation in the city of Rome. Ephesians was written to a local congregation in Ephesus. First and second Thessalonians are two letters that were written to the church in Thessalonica. Galatians was written to the church in Galatia. Philippians was written to the church in Philippi. Colossians was written to the church in Colossae. You getting the point? The last one, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, were two letters written to a local congregation in the city of Corinth. And that's where I want to talk to us a little bit about a biblical definition of church. So this local congregation in the city of Corinth, I want you to imagine, if you will, for a moment, a church, a local congregation, much like ours. Imagine, if you will, a local congregation that is wrecked with division. Powerful and influential leaders within that church, promoting themselves against one another, each having their own followers and people in the congregation going, well, I'm with them and I'm with them and they're pitted against each other. 
Imagine, if you will, a local congregation where church people are suing one another in secular courts. Imagine, if you will, a local congregation where there, there are debates about situational ethics. Meaning, well, if you follow Jesus, you will do this, you won't do that, you eat this, you won't eat that, you'll drink this, you won't drink that. Imagine, if you will, for a moment, a congregation that has disagreement about the role of men and women in ministry. Imagine, if you will, varying opinions in the church about doctrine, like prophecy or speaking in tongues. I know it's really hard to imagine a congregation like that. We don't have any of those in the 21st century. Of course we do. Well, it's no different 2,000 years ago. This is exactly what was happening at this small congregation in Corinth. It's why the Apostle Paul wrote these letters. Now, the Apostle Paul, he planted this church in his second missionary journey. So if you will, let's talk about just the city itself for a second, talking about Corinth. Corinth was, the city of Corinth was a prominent city-state in the Roman Empire. In Paul's day, it was probably the wealthiest city in Greece. It was a major multicultural urban center. In fact, it was also a sports town. You may not know that. Every two years, Corinth hosted the Isthmian Games in its massive stadium in Corinth. It was second to none only to the Olympics. Now, I don't know if they were the city of champions or not, but it was certainly a sports town. In comparison, Corinth being this urban, multicultural city would have been comparable in ancient times. It would have been comparable to today of New York or Los Angeles or Las Vegas. And in the midst of this urban, multicultural city, this wealthy city, Paul plants this local congregation, a local congregation that was diverse, that had different ethnicities amongst it different socioeconomic people. There were rich and there were poor, different political people. There were those who believed different doctrinally. They were old and they were young. Does this sound familiar at all? It's awesome. It's within this context that Paul instructs this congregation what it means to be a local church and thereby giving you and I today a biblical understanding of what church should be and what it should look like. So if you would follow along, I want to read a part of this letter to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read a bit of text here, so hang with me, verses 12 through 27. Paul writes this, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit. We all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that not make it any less part of the body? And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. 
And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you has a part in it. Now, to help us understand what Paul was saying, not, again, not just to that local congreg- congregation, but for us today, I brought something with me. Any of you recognize this? Now, when I received this in the mail today and opened it up, my daughter was like, Dad, that kind of looks familiar. I don't know, know where idea she gets that from. Here's the point. Here's what Paul's saying. This is the body of Christ. And this, sometimes we look like this. All of us have a part to play. Some of us are ears, some of us are hands, some of us are nose, feet, glasses. And Paul is saying that if all the, part, all the parts aren't functioning, if all of the parts aren't working in the body, we're not whole. How many of you know that looks pretty dumb? And it doesn't work. Why? Because all the parts aren't there. And here's what he's also saying. He's also like, you know, some of you are noses, but you really wish you were an ear. And some of you are an ear, and you really wish you were a nose. That looks dumb too. And it doesn't work. And what Paul is saying is that God has given us each a part to play. And we are only whole. We are only functioning the way the body of Christ is supposed to function. Make sure we can see. When all of our parts are together and working appropriately. Not 80%. 100%. In the area in which you were gifted and supposed to be working. And the fact is that each and every one of us. Each and every one of us, God has given us gifts. He has graced every believer with unique gifts that only you have. Go to Romans 12. Paul talks about it. Again, he writes a local congregation in Rome. And he said, some of you are leaders and you need to lead. Some of you have the gift of hospitality and you need to serve and use your gift of hospitality. Some of you need to teach. Some of you have resources and you're givers and you need to give. All of us, everyone in this room, even those watching online that would say that they're a part of the body, have a gift, have a function. And we need, we are only whole if we're operating in our gift when we're functioning together. The church is whole and healthy and functioning at its best when all the parts are involved doing and operating in what they're graced to do. Alternatively, when parts are missing or parts are replaced and not in the right spot, the body of Christ is unhealthy and we're not functioning at our best. And here's a misconception that we often have. 
A misconception is that the lead pastor and the staff are supposed to carry the bulk of the work of the ministry. That's why you're here. Pastor, that's why we pay your salary. Well, I'm going to go to another letter of Paul. He writes a letter to the church in Ephesus, to a local congregation. And Paul says this, and speaking of the church, the local congregation, Paul says that now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And now, I have a job, resp- I have a job responsibility, but I have a job description. I haven't looked at it in about two and a half years, but I have one. I don't remember, but if not, every person that works here on staff, starting with me, this is the biblical definition of what it means to be a pastor. Paul says it. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. According to the Bible, My job as lead pastor of this congregation is to equip you, build in you, empower you, and release you to do the ministry of the kingdom. It is not the sole responsibility of me and the staff. We don't, shouldn't, and won't pay our staff to do all of the work, but rather it is our job again to build, to equip, to empower, and to release all of the parts of the body to do God's work. So you see, if you are a Jesus follower, following Jesus demands action as part of the body of Christ through the local church. One more time, Paul says in verse 27, now you are the members. You're the body of Christ and individual members of it. I want to talk about that for a moment. Members. We receive new members today. Now, when I say members, I'm not talking about the official step that these nine folks on the weekend from this service and the next service went through. Many of you are official members of this church. Now, sidebar, membership isn't as popular anymore as it used to be. I would argue that Paul's talking about that here, and it is important to be an official member of the church. But for the sake of this message and sermon, Paul's not just saying you official members. What he's saying is those of you who are called to the local congregation, in our context today, if you call ACAC your church home, I would call you a member. And and Paul says you are the body, individual members of it. And here's another misconception. There is a misconception that we often have about church revolving around membership. What does it mean to be a member of a church? Again, I'm not talking about even official membership. What does it talk to be a member of a local congregation? Let me give you an example, another one. Many of you know I love golf. And when you're a golfer, there are country clubs that have some really nice courses. Now, I am not a member of a country club. Uh, I have two brothers, younger brothers. My youngest brother, his name's Austin. He's 14 years younger than me. And I will fully admit he's the best golfer in our family. He played golf in college. In fact, he married uh, one of the girls that was on the girls' golf team. And they're phenomenal golfers. They live in Houston, or they live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And um, they now have a small child, and they're expecting another one in September. But before that, years ago, I always called them dinks. Dual income, no kids. You do the math on that. And Lord bless you if you're a dink here today. Um, You got extra money to go around, and they're a member of a country club. And I remember going down to Tulsa this one time, and he would take me to his country club and play golf, and, you know, and they're 
bringing you iced tea and hot dog and you get the prime tea times and everything. And it was probably a whole like 12 or 13. And again, my brother's kicking my tail. He's a far better golfer than me, but he was a little sideways on his driver that day. So he gets his phone, calls the clubhouse and he's like, hey, so-and-so, whatever his name was, I'm not hitting my driver real well. Can you bring me that new pain driver down? Let me try it out. Three minutes later, this golf cart comes flying down, brings him a new driver. And I'm like, what the world is this? You don't get that at Shenley Park, I'm telling you. (laughs) Okay, so whether it's a golf country club or whether you're a member of some other club, we understand membership means perks. Membership means you get privileges. Membership means others will serve me. Just pay the going rate and you can have other people take care of you. Here's the tragic thing about that. A lot of people take that view and definition of membership and they put it on the church. Well, this is my church, pastor, so you should play the music the way I want it. Look, pastor, remember who pays your salary. If you don't do the program or the ministry I think is important, I'm gonna withhold my check. Pastor, I've been a member of this church for 30 years, so you fill in the blank. Now, completely honest with you, I don't hear that here at ACAC. I don't, and I don't feel it. So that isn't coming from a place where people are saying that to me. They're not. And I pray (laughs) we never will. But what makes it funny is you all know people who do think like that. You get the point. And the unfortunate thing is comments and attitudes like that reflect an unbiblical view of what it means to be a member of a church. You see, for them, membership is about receiving rather than giving. It is about being served instead of serving. It is about rights instead of responsibilities that we have. It's about entitlements instead of sacrifices. A biblical understanding of membership entails giving rather than receiving, serving rather than being served, our responsibility rather than our rights, and sacrificing rather than feeling entitled. I'll be really frank with you today. What you give in the offerings is not your dues to this congregation. You don't pay dues to the church. You don't pay dues to the body of Christ. There is only one person that has ever paid the fulfillment of those dues. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he paid more than any of us ever could on the cross of Calvary. He paid the dues so you and I could serve him and do his work. So as I close today, I want to speak to the ACAC members, not the official members. I'm talking about the folks who call this church their home. Whether you have been here for 30, 40, 50 years, or whether you've been here for three months and you're like, I just feel God has called me home. I'm so grateful for that. But as your pastor today, I want to speak to you. If you're a guest today, if you're watching online from a distance and this is not your church home... You can end the feed right now or walk out and I won't be offended. But as your pastor, I believe you need to hear this today. I want to remind you of our mission. Our mission, why we exist right now in this season at ACAC, we follow Jesus in diverse community. And here is how we do that. We do it by remembering the markers of our DNA, which are, We are spirit-led, 
We pursue God's presence and we proclaim his truth. We love people where they are. We are a diverse community of faith and we strive to become more like Jesus. The more I pray, the more I seek the Lord and say, God, in this season, in this time when you have called me to be lead pastor, what do you have for us? What is the work in that in following Jesus in diverse community? And the more and more I pray, the more and more I hear from the leadership and hear from you, it is this. We have an incredible, unique opportunity as a diverse congregation in a world that is divided, in a world that is polarized, in a Christian community that is being divided and polarized. We have a, such a unique opportunity. Do you realize that? Do you recognize that? With the different ethnicities that we have here, with the different political opinions that we have here, with the different doctrinal opinions that we are, we are very much like that church in Corinth, not seeing the division, but the diversity that is there. And we have an opportunity in our community, in our city, and I mean even beyond that, to model what it means to be unified in one spirit, in one body. The world and the body of Christ needs that. But here's the thing, that is not just on me. And it's not just on our staff. It takes all of us. It takes each part doing what God has graced you to do. And if I can for a moment, some of you, I wanna to speak to those that are watching online. I'm not talking to those, there are some that you can't be here because your kids or you yourself are still at risk and because of COVID, you can't be here. There are others that are missionary workers or you're watching from a distance and you ha you're not here locally, that's fine. But there are a lot. There's a 21% according to the Pew Research that says you are online only. You cannot be an active member of the body of Christ way out here. There are some of you that God has given those gifts and we cannot accomplish the work that God has called to do without you. And it's time to be frank, you step up. Otherwise we're functioning at 60, 70, 80%. We need you. Each and every one of us have the same amount of time. You can't pray and ask God to give you more time. We each get 24 hours in a day. But each and every one of us have to go before God and say, God, I've got this amount of time. ACAC is my church home. I know that I have a part to play. Will you help me discern the amount of time that I am to give, that I am to use to fulfill your purpose through the local congregation in which you've called me? There are some of you that have talents. You are graced, each of you, have a grace to do certain things. Some of those talents are working with kids, young kids. You love it. Some of you, it's teenagers. Some of you are gifted in leadership. Some of you are, have the gift of hospitality and you just, when people talk to you, they're just drawn in. We need your gifts in the body of Christ. There's some of you that are great in working with your hands and this local congregation needs that gift. There are others of you that can sing and play instruments. We need that gift. There are even some of you that have incredible minds and God has blessed with resources. And he's not called you to hoard those resources and store up treasures here on earth. 
you could resource and fund the ministry that God's called us to do. And that's the part he's called you to play. Each of us have a part. And we have to be functioning, active members in the body of Christ. One simple step. Actually, I'm going to give you two simple steps. Because it's like, well, how do we do this? Where do we go from here? One simple way is after and before service, all of our staff, they know my heart. I've instructed them, I need you here. I need your presence here. Because this is the one time of the week when we connect with you. And I said, I need you in the lobbies. I need you shaking hands and kissing babies, so to speak. (laughs) When you see our staff, we need to know. Just this past week, a gentleman in our congregation retired and he reached out to Pastor Blaine. He said, I'm retiring and God's given me some gifts and I just want to know how I can help. That's the spirit that we need. And it may take you giving that first step. Pastor Blaine will buy you breakfast. (laughs) Pastor Ross will take you to Lone Star Steakhouse, whatever it is. We want to connect, but we may need you to take that first step. Another easy way is this. You received this card when you came in. There's a QR code on it. Many of you know how to use that. If you don't, you just put your camera up to it. But even if you don't, right now today, there's people in Simpson Hall, there's staff in the front lobby and this lobby. And, you know, we have, we have a technology piece, and I don't want to go too deep into this, but one of the knocks of being a large church is, you know, you could disappear for three or four weeks. I, I, I don't know everybody. Some of the new members that joined today, a couple I just met for the first time. Um, and one of the knocks on large churches, you know, you can disappear. Now that's where it's on me. How do we, what do we do to, to stop that? One of the tools we use is a technology piece called Planning Center Online. You don't have to remember that. We use PCO for short. It's kind of a digital version of notebooks. And one easy step, we're not going to go into it today, but when the hub opens, we're going to give you more. It's a way in which you can help. We can know you're here and, you, and we can connect with you, not to track you, but just to support you so that if you're in the hospital, if you're gone, we can say, hey, Joe hasn't been here in a while. Can we follow up with him and ask, is everything all right? How can we help? What you could do today is many of you are already a part of that. We just want to make sure your information's up to date. For those of you that are new, three, four months, we want to know you're here. We want to know and ask what gifts you can have. And so go there. It's a a simple way of just putting in some personal information. We're not going to sell it or bombard you with stuff, but it helps us. And again, when that hub opens and we do that in January, we're going to hit the ground running. We want to get every part connected to the body where they're supposed to be. Would you stand with me this morning? We are all members of one body. And you have called each of us to be a part of it. Father, some of us are hands and feet and eyes. (laughs) Some of us are a voice. From the youngest to the oldest. And God, I pray that you would help us all be functioning, active members. Lord, I seek your forgiveness for times when I've carried that burden of thinking that it's on me, it's not. It's on all of us. Pray you would help me, pray you would help our staff to build and to equip your people 
to position people where they can be graced to succeed in what you have gifted them to do. Lord, do that in us to accomplish the incredible calling that I know you have for this congregation. In the name of Jesus, amen. Before you leave today, two quick things. One, we do, I wanna remind you of a meet and greet. Um, it, it's not just for those, if you're here for the first time, I would love to meet you and say hello, other staff will be there. But if you're fairly new, maybe you're a new member today and we didn't get a chance to really talk much. But if you're here in the last three to six months, right to my left, there's a visitor center. We just wanna say hi. It's a great chance for you to meet other people too that are fairly new to ACAC. And last but not least, this is especially for parents, okay? If you're gonna do this on PCO, it's a technical thing, but if you have kids, say, uh, Sally's in third grade or she's just finishing third grade. You're gonna log in and you may see it says Sally's in fourth grade. Don't change that. Here's why. This was move up weekend. So little Sally went from third grade to fourth grade. And if you're already in children's ministry, they did that. And if you change it back, we don't wanna be demoting all of our kids. (laughs) All right, you with me on that? God bless you. Thanks for being an active part of ACAC. See you next weekend.